listening to the Live, Live, Play podcast. Hey guys, it's Stephen Kessler here from the Live, Live, Play podcast. And today on the show, I have Ken Roberts from Top Nutrition Performance. I got that right, Ken, did I? Yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, okay, I got that right, yeah. <laughs> I think I got it wrong. Um, so, Ken, firstly, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure, man. This is it's always, a, always a blessing to be able to help out other trainers, especially ones that are associated with Brand X. Yeah. Um, and you're, like, firstly, for, like, people that don't know, like, the, the topic of this show is, uh, is going to be based around youth nutrition. But looking into your kind of background, you're a former Marine, you're a brand X PYCC coach. Um, you're you, you're a registered dietitian. You've you got a bachelor's in uh, diabetes. Uh, I have it written here. Uh, in 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 diabetes, vegetarian nutrition, nutrition counseling. So, kind of, it's not just you did a weekend course or a six week course nutrition, you, you know, your stuff. And then you're, you're, you've, you've competed in Ironman. You've done ultra, uh, kind of, uh, trail races, ultra race finishers. And like, I was just looking, I, I, I started writing it out and I was like, it's too much to write out. Um, so if, if you're actually interested about everything Ken's done, check out his website. It'll be in the link below. Um, so Ken, firstly, uh, what kind of got you into wanting to know more about nutrition? Uh, well, so I did 20 years active duty in the U.S. Marine Corps. And um, when, I was, when I went to become a drill instructor to train civilians into United States Marines, um, I was already a black belt martial art instructor in our Marine Corps program. Uh, so halfway through my tour of duty as a drill instructor, I went to a school to become a, basically a martial art instructor trainer, someone that makes people into instructors at the black belt level uh, for our program. And while I was there, I actually got exposed to CrossFit back in 2006, which led to me meeting Jeff and Vicky in uh, 2007, 2008. Uh, but I learned about nutrition back then. And I realized that nutrition has to be the base of all things in our, you know, in our life and our health and our wellness, our fitness and, our, and even in sport. Um, so when I finished that course and I went back to pushing recruits through boot camp, I started to make them eat differently than all the other drill sitters. And I used to make my team leave and go eat while I watched the recruits eat. And I saw that my team stayed healthy. They stayed stronger. My recruits got stronger. They got sick less. So in 2007, when I left that tour of duty, I was still a Marine. Um, I decided that I wanted to find a degree that was the, basically the most reputable college degree out there for nutrition. And, and it was to become a registered dietitian. So I started my path then while I was active duty deploying around the world to slowly knock out all the courses to do that. Uh, I retired from the Marine Corps in 2017 and went out and I had to go do an internship, uh, 1200 hours of supervised practice uh, at different facilities like hospitals, wellness centers, food service places, things like that, to learn all the components from everything from the biological to how to interact with the community on nutrition. Uh, so I could get my, regist my, leg my registration and my license, and I got a master's degree in how to communicate that stuff. So that's, that's the, lo the long story shortened. <laughs> And just one thing, because one, 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 as one aspect of what you studied is very interest. It interests me a lot is diabetes. Uh, and not that I have diabetes. I just find that I found a very interesting. A lot of my family had it, and they kept saying it was genetic. And it wasn't. It was a very bad lifestyle, um, if you can imagine. Uh, There's a, like, a lot of processed food, good consumption of alcohol, not right. just because we're Irish, just um that's the way it is and it was always when in their 40s late 40s 50s is when they got it mm. and then i remember been told about a book doctor i think it was dr bernstein's book on diabetes the guy that kind of revolutionized the uh, diabetes in the 19 i think it was the 40s but he was an engineer who was born with type one uh he didn't like the diagnosis so he went to college became a doctor in his 40s and then literally realized that you need to do an awful lot. You can't, the carb loading isn't the way to um, solving diabetes and um, help pioneer. And then I heard about the, the veteran, oh, not the, the, sorry, the soldier who, um, 
he got his pancreas blown off in, the, in I think it was Iraq or Afghanistan, and they grafted beta cells from the pancreas onto the kidney, onto the liver, and it was taking, and they were kind of saying that possibly they could find a cure for diabetes. Um, I, I, I don't know why. It just, I find it very fascinating. Yeah, I've always been fascinated with diabetes. Um, not necessarily because I want to help people with type 2 diabetes. I do, and I, and I have. Um, but my, I, because so, diabetes is, as you mentioned, the pancreas and the beta cells. So it's, it's, it's related to, to hormones, right? Uh, so someone that has type 1 diabetes typically gets it somewhere between 7 to 14 years old. But there are acute things that can happen in our life that can cause the beta cells to stop producing insulin. So therefore you're not going to be as receptive to pulling in glucose into the cells, into, in, into the muscle cells and into other cells in the body uh, to be stored and used later. They just get saturated in the, in the blood attached to the red blood cells. So someone that has type one diabetes is going to, it's almost like they're born with a certain amount of beta cells that's going to produce insulin. And at some point in their life, they're going to run out of the ability to produce more insulin from the beta cells because the beta cells are just going to be tapped out. Uh, so there are things like acute onset type one diabetes that can happen to people in their fifties or sixties where suddenly like, boom, they ran out of those beta cells and mm. it's no longer producing insulin. So it's not like they have type two, they have technically they have type one diabetes. Um, you know, type two diabetes is obviously is very much associated to, you know, lifestyle, but it's the same thing as, and, and this is a cliche is like, there's an American actor called George Burns. He's long past dead now, but the guy was like in his nineties, still smoking cigars. Like, why didn't he die of cancer in his forties or thirties? Right. Why, yeah. why can some people do things that are extremely bad for their health and never get in it. And then somebody looks at a cigar or chewing tobacco and they get mouth cancer or lung cancer, or whatnot. How, how do some people last longer? So like someone with type two diabetes, you know, you've got people that are eating junk food and soda their entire life, and they may be obese by statistical measures, but have nothing wrong with them clinically. Yes. Except the weight. So some, so people that are, have a family history of diabetes means they're more susceptible to getting diabetes and so things that they do in their life that they can control, not genetics, not gender, not age, but diet, exercise, lifestyle choices can help reduce the risk or the potential of them getting something that's they're highly susceptible in their family. I, I think what you kind of touched on there regarding health, like you can be like you can have extra weight on your body, but everything inside there is still working optimally. Uh, and I think that that was one thing that was, I think it was, uh, it was coach, coach Dan John, who said there's the difference between health and fitness. Health is the optimal interplay of your organs and fitness is the ability to do a task. And you should look at it like that when you're looking with clients. That's cool. Um, because like you can that. have a, a bigger client who can do an awful lot. Like, and like you say, like, if, like you always hear that guy is like, he, he smoked till he was night in his nineties. And then Paul, who was super fit and ran and exercised, went to the gym, had a heart attack at 45 or got lung cancer at 45. It's like, it's, and I, I said this before to a lot of people when we, when we talk about nutrition in the gym is um, you're given a set of cards. It's the cards you're dealt and it's how you played them. And you'll either play them to your advantage or, or, or your weakness, your kind of strengths or your fall. And like when someone goes to me, oh, well, such and such eats what they want and they look great. I was like, yeah, well, but you can't eat what they eat. You, like, you're not allowed to eat what they eat because you know the consequences. You gain weight, they don't. It's unfortunate. It's life. And we kind of got to gotta understand that and accept it at the same time as well, um, which I think is a big lesson for a lot of people. And it's something that I try and teach our youths very young um, that they need to get strong. Like some kids will get stronger quicker. Some kids right. will be better. They'll, they'll outperform you on the rowing machine just because, um, whether it's their height or just their general fitness levels, and you can work as hard as you want. But once you're getting better, I think is the, is, is the, the kind of lesson I try and teach them is that if month on month we're seeing progression in you, there's your win. 
But if you're look, wasting your energy focusing on everyone else, you're not actually getting better because your energy has been expended somewhere else where you should be using your energy on you. Comparing um, yourself. Exactly. So with, with all your, with your background, obviously you put in the work, you put into years. And I mean, did you open up your center for uh, martial arts first or was it a bit of, a bit of everything when you opened it up? It was a bit of everything, uh, mostly because I've taught martial arts. I taught in the Marine Corps for close to the 20 years that I was active duty. So when you, you get really high up and you find that your passion is teaching people, it's like, I'm just not going to stop teaching martial arts. Um, so I essentially here at my studio, it's kind of a bulb. I've got three different academies underneath Top Nutrition. I have my Strength and Nutrition, which is really, it's global. We help people all over the world. Um, then I have the martial arts, which is just here. And then my fiance has a dance academy where she teaches bar yoga and, and strength. Um, but amongst all of them, we, those three academies, we push that nutrition has to be the foundation of everything, then strength, then sport, then specific, you know, things that are unique to the 4% of, you know, the 0.04% difference in each individual person. Right. Because uh, everyone, everyone's the same almost 98% of the time of what they need, but then there's small variations, in, you know, at the, at the biological level where we, where we can tweak little things. The rest of it is making changes to lifestyle stuff. So, yeah, martial arts was, was something I just never wanted to get rid of because I absolutely love teaching martial arts. Um, and I love teaching strength training, but nutrition is kind of like pushes to both or really all three because of my fiance's dance academy. Like I, I would have been uh, more gym 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 and then as i kind of educated more and more I, I started realizing the benefits of nutrition and looking at nutrition um and then like we run a we for adults we run a very like strong nutrition program we have we touch on just the basics with youths that's why again like I, I wanted to touch base with you um is because we we f we were always kind of found it hard to try and educate nutrition in class if the parents weren't willing to jump on board. Oh, definitely. Uh, it was hard. So from your point of view and the people you've worked with, how, how important is it for the kids and teenagers to understand the positives of nutrition? I would definitely say it's extremely important, but we have to be careful about how we, how we communicate the importance of nutrition because nutrition has so much negative tied to it. Um, like for example, you know, there could be something that you eat in Ireland that's different than what I eat here. And it is, if I was to go, you know, because you're a trainer diet means something to you, right? It, it typically, it might be a verb, mm. but for everybody else in the world prior to dieting, the, the, you know, to, to conjugate that word and use it as a descriptive of a pattern of eating, right? So if you go to, there's certain things that you're going to eat in Ireland that are common, right? That may not be common anywhere else in the world. And that's a certain pattern of eating and that food choices that's different and even the way it's made is tied to your beliefs, your religion, your ideology, the, 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 the region, even in certain regions in Ireland. So if I was to suddenly say that food's bad for you, don't eat that because that doesn't help anything with health and fitness. It's stripping away your identity and things that matter to you. So how we communicate food to people on a very personal level has to be not on black and white do and don't has to be on health overall health and then understanding that it's okay to eat foods that don't support your health and fitness goals because food is still food i, I tell my clients i tell the kids there's no bad food choices it's just bad portion sizes yeah and, and if you if you go to the gym you're exercising you eat great all the time and, you know, you do all sorts of things that support mental clarity, overall health and performance of your workouts. And then you want to go, you know, have a giant uh, plate of bangers and mash and then, you know, have some sort of pudding afterwards, not blood sausage pudding, but, you know, the yogurt pudding, whatever yeah. uh, afterwards. And who cares? Who cares? Right. It, it's, it's a meal. It's not a cheat meal because we don't, it's, it's just 
a meal, just food. Let it eat it, let it go, forget about it, and enjoy the experience of whom you're with. So with the kids, when we communicate to kids, we don't want to put our biases that we have as adults that are associated to what we feel or what people told us to them. We just want to teach the kids about what food is and how we can use it to our advantage, but also enjoy it because it's part of life and not feel things sense of guilt about it because of black and white limitations that are put upon us by biases as an adult. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I, I get that because there is a, a kind of train of thought on like, if once you say the word diet, you're, you're assuming you're cutting something, even though right. the word diet does not mean that. Uh, it's a way of eating. Um, but yet kind of letting kids know, well, well, a tub of Ben and Jerry's is bad for you. Um, no, not necessarily. If you had Ben and Jerry's every day for 40 days, yes, that's not going to be good for your system. Um, and you kind of like, I suppose, like letting kids understand that food is good for you. Like all food has its place. Um, is a kind of as a good way to educate rather than are you not eating you must eat vegetables even though I know when the when the the it was actually I think it was Jeff or Mickey that taught me it was uh, was Connor it was one of the Martins anyway um, from the years of knowing them was like oh I don't eat I don't eat broccoli okay Uh, put um would you put broccoli on your plate yeah okay okay just put broccoli on the plate you don't have to eat it just one piece of broccoli on your plate and then in two weeks' time, it's like, would you put the piece of broccoli on your in your mouth for five seconds and spit it out? And then he just, over a six-week period, he had the person used to seeing it, used to having it, the taste in its mouth. And then eventually it was like, would you eat that one piece of broccoli? It wasn't that bad, was it? Because it was, he was saying it's more of a, it's not a fear, but there's an underlying issue is like once they see broccoli they automatically think negative towards it mm-hmm. and he, he was trying to this is how they were saying to get kids and we tried it with our kids we got some kids putting just vegetables on their plate some kids putting vegetables in their mouths and um eventually just kind of started to eat it and the parents were coming back on i can't believe like he he's willing to eat broccoli or a carrot or a parsnip but i'm like yeah well it's just it's it's not just there's food in the plate you have to eat it it was over six to eight weeks of hey today i want you to try a new vegetable on your plate and just that type of thing and i I found that very easy to work with especially when it comes to our younger kids yeah i mean they need to be exposed to seeing feeling tasting textural changes of foods more often the more exposure they get to something like if you just give them steamed broccoli that's um you know and again it's just it's going to be where they're at in the world. Like if I had somebody from like India or Asia come here to America and I'm like, here's some steamed vegetables. They're like, this is nasty, right? Because they're used to more spices and flavors and stuff like that. So not dressing food with like cheese and gravy just so they can get it to eat it, right? We're not dumping chocolate syrup on, you know, on a vegetable, but the way we present food is going to be more enticing to it. Like if you suddenly had a really hard, hard workout for the kids, a Metcon, and you're like, this is it, good luck, right? They're gonna be like, great. But if it was just like, here, we're gonna warm up, we're gonna work some skills, and then we're gonna go into this, and this is what we're doing, we're gonna be teaming this, and you present it in a way that's exciting, that's fun, that's manageable, they're gonna do it, they're gonna get it done, and we're like, all right, we did it. And, and those become the common place. So the more we introduce certain foods to the kids in ways that are exciting, that are not like do this because, but just here you go. And that that's going to lead to better outcomes with the kids. You know, if we start talking about like, you need this many grams of this, you need many grams of that, kids don't need to know that. I yeah. don't teach any kids anything about macros. Zero. Yeah, I don't even like, I don't like even educating adults on that until they can narrow down just eating clean food, like getting their portion sizes under control. And not over snacking. Like I wouldn't, uh, anyone that comes to me about macros is like, well, yeah, I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't think it's necessary at the beginning. It's like, yeah. like you said, it's like, you're not going, you're not going to let someone one rep max or deadlift under day one. We're going to educate you on the barbell first and the path of the barbell. And then as you get better at it, so the same, I, I, I look at it with the same with food is like, well, let's just look at what you're currently eating. Yeah. Um, and you're eating, four slices of white bread a day okay can you 
have three instead of four. Mm-hmm. Let's look at that over the next couple of weeks and we'll just deal with that. And then when we cure that, then we'll move on. Uh, I, it's, just a, a, it's just a simpler approach to making small changes, I think. And then it's not as extreme. When you think about when you're working with a, with a kid to lift a barbell, right? There's points of performance in the movement that they need to be able to do safely. And then there's tiers of progression before you, before you start loading weight, making weight or even making an explosive or making explosive movements with the weight, right? There's yeah. got to be points of performance and tiers of progression for each one of them. You're not going to suddenly go, all right, we're going to do a clean and a jerk. And like the kid doesn't even know how to lift up a barbell uh, with a PVC pipe. And we're, we're doing clean and jerks. You know what? Let's make it even clean and split jerks. You know, that'd be crazy. So taking the same thing is like, you've got a progression that you're going to take them through long before you even tell them what a split jerk is or a clean is. There's a progression to those types of things. So you can stack skills and behavior. So it's just another thing. And food can be the exact same way with kids is introducing them to um, not in your mind, what a protein is, what a vegetable is, what a grain is, you know, what a fruit is per se, but, but you can, you can talk about, Hey, these are items that we want to try to get a couple times a day. These are like nature's sweets. They're really, they're good for us. They do great things for us. You know, they help out, help our body out. They help to protect us to keep us healthy, but they also help out with contractions of muscles that help you perform better on, on the sport, you know, or on, or in the gym. Like, Oh, cool. What's that? That's an apple. You know, here's a fruit and, and give them things that they know they already like. And then you can introduce more to them. Same thing with the vegetables, right? Whether it's a starchy or non-starchy vegetable, like we know the terms in the back of the head, we don't even tell them that, right? So it's like, all right, you know, these are foods that are also going to help you recover and give you fuel. So that way you're better to be able to perform again tomorrow or be able to, you know, study better so you can get your homework done sooner so you can get outside and play or vice versa, whatever you're doing it at. It's, It's how you present it to them. And then you get them to pick things that they already like that they're already doing. And then you start building out into diversity with them, you know, and, and then start changing portion sizes to meet their needs. But first, before diving into portion sizes, get them to expand their palate and understand the benefits of the food. Like I never mentioned it as a vitamin or a mineral. I mm. just said what it does and why it's important. I, I suppose for, Kids that want to like play sports or, or competitive, if you tell them if, if, if you're eating these new foods, you're going to play better in your sport uh, or you're going to perform better. Or you're going to have more energy. And I think that kind of is an easier, it's an easier sell than, well, this is, uh, this is a, this vegetable is healthy for you because of A, B and C. And here's all the nutritional density information, because even most adults don't care but most people like you don't care about they just want the results um but for obviously when you're like when do you would you approach the parents about that you're teaching nutrition or is it just something you kind of laden in your classes or is it a kind of separate entity to your your kind of program that you run like your strength conditioning and stuff. I think it needs to be both. Like you need to introduce stuff into your classes, drop pins, work things into it, maybe even give the kids like um, like even homework on certain things that you know to bring back and and give them rewards, not with food, but rewards for the behavior that they're doing. We always we reward behaviors, not you know, um, not results, if that makes sense. Because behaviors lead to results. So yeah. the same thing. The, the the parent like if you could if you could give the, uh, the parent a reason why something would be beneficial and then they do it and you can not say good job mom or dad because they don't may not care about that but if you could give them some sort of pat on the back that would be beneficial to them outside of what the kid is doing they're going to be more like it like we want i want my my parents and my kids to feel that behaviors they're doing are positive and kind of have some sort of reward process. So that way the outcomes of the behaviors end up leading to results rather than me saying, do this because, and you'll get better results, like almost rewarding them both a different way uh, along, along the uh, way there. And that maybe that reward might be like teaching the parent how to do things at home 
that the kids are going to be more receptive to. So it's not a frustrating experience of wasted food or dining out or, you know, having a family meal, teaching them how to do those types of things. At the same time, I'm trying to teach the kids to eat healthier. I could teach the parents how techniques and strategies to be able to enjoy those experiences. And then they both play together. Yeah. Like I know one thing, and this isn't from uh, just as I've seen um, just a chef in, I don't know, you, you know, like Jamie Oliver. Um, I know he's in, he was in America. Well, he's an English chef and he did a lot of things with schools. And uh, one of his biggest proponents to get kids interested in food was to teach them about gardening and to teach them about cooking food. <clears throat> so if you yeah. prepare the food, it's, it's like that thing. When you put time and effort into something, you're going to appreciate it more than been handed something at five o'clock every day. Uh, that aspect of it, I, th- I, I thought I always thought that was a really good insight into getting kids interested in what they're making and then how they're eating it because they'll be a little bit prouder. Like I've I've made stuff that's really bad, but I'd eat it because I made it. You know, <laughs> I'm with you. It, the, you know, and that that's right there is one of the reasons why any client I work with, I don't write meal plans for them. Yeah, none of them. I teach them how to do that. Whether I think it's a teen or an adult and, and they're more likely to stick with it and continue to make it better. I think that's really good. Cause I, we always get like, Oh, well, have you got a meal plan? I was like, well, what I eat is not what you, you might like. Like for me, five times during the week, I'm going to have some sort of chicken burger or Turkey burger with sweet potato fries and loads of vegetables. And I can eat that five days a week. Cause that's just, a, and I can eat a cold. Like you're not like, that's my meal plan. I don't have that. Like I don't have a recipe book. Um, it's like kind of, it's, yeah, like you said, like what you should be eating is an overview and then you kind of design your meals around, uh, what you like to eat as well. Because I like, for example, I couldn't stomach any sort of spicy food, like barbecue sauce would make my head sweat. I just can't tolerate it. Uh, but yes, my wife loves spicy food, but yet if she's ordering a takeaway, I'm never in on that. Like I'd have to go get a pizza or something. I can't have any of that. So I just, I don't understand sweating while eating. I just, um, to make myself feel uncomfortable or having something that I don't really enjoy. I don't know, uh, whatever, whatever you're into. Um, but when it comes to, I because I know like you, you, like you, you worked with like some young athletes and like you, you've performed yourself at a high level when, at what point, because I suppose there is a point in a kind of young athlete's life, at what point does nutrition control then trump like uh, over like kind of what you're saying, just eating, you can kind of eat a bit of everything. At what point does that 1% have to change when there comes to performance? A lot of that's going to depend on, uh, well, it depends on the individual. Like, so with some, with some kids and some adults, um, we'll talk, talk kids, that 1% could be a biological thing that they can't tolerate. I mean, it could be an allergy. It could be something that just doesn't sit well when they eat it. And that food's not a bad food for them, but when they eat it, like, let's say, let's say you could eat that Turkey burger and then go do a high intensity session for an hour. I wouldn't advise that, but but let's say you could for the rest, you're the 1% that could do that. The other 99% should never do that. Right. Because that, who's probably going to make them vomit because it's not going to digest in that short amount of time because the high amount of protein in the turkey burger, right? Uh, and the fat that might be associated with, with whatever else is in the meal, it's not going to go well. Somebody else, they might need to have a little bit of applesauce. They might need to have a half of half a banana, maybe even a piece of bread with some honey on or something like that. And they go do a workout and they're good. So learning to be, that's the, that's the small tweaking with, with the stuff is we can get a healthy pattern with, with overall, but then we start to dial in like how food responds to you at different times, um, during training, before training and after training. Cause like, I don't want kids or adults for that matter to do a workout fasting ever. It's just, you know, if you're, if you're going to have more fuel in the workout, then you can go faster, harder during the workout because the body has the energy readily available to it. Right. If you, if the kid goes into it and goes hard and doesn't, you know, doesn't eat anything before, does not drink anything, then afterwards he gets busy with this and that the body's like, I can't recover. So those are things that the kids need, but the 1% is like, 
what they can tolerate, what's going to work well, work, work better for them that might not work for somebody else. And then obviously specific responses to food um, tied to emotions as well. Some kids uh, are like adults. They may, you know, have certain cravings for certain foods at certain times. Those are things that kind of work out. And then the difference between male and female athletes, because I, I do talk at that personal level with my clients uh, on those different types of things. Um, well, I, I know for like we get a lot of, and we get it from models. We get it from some of our older teens when they hear about like the likes of inter, like you said, fast, like intermittent fasting. Oh, I should do this. I'm like, well, no. Um, and if obviously if, if someone's over 18, I can't really, well, I, I can't really stop anyone from trying anything, to be honest. I can only advise. And what I kind of educate people, try to educate people with is, is if you're going to try intermittent fasting or some sort of crazy diet, understand that your performance will drop. Understand that you might get weaker, that you won't be able to go as hard in the workout. Because mm-hmm. they think a lot of them, I, I suppose, assume that if the diet's going to help them cut or lean or drop body fat, they're going to perform at the highest level. I'm like, well, that's not how it works. Um, your body can't operate like that. So when, if you, like, Again, I, 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 I don't know, but if you've come across it, but have you had like kind of teenagers or like kind of like into early 20s that are trying to do your training, but then also trying to try some crazy diet, like or like a, a 38 paleo or a fasting program or something along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I've seen it all. With the, with the kids, it's a little bit different. I kind of plant seeds. I'll try to get there a I'll, sometimes I'll try to get their parents into um, into a closed group. I have a closed Facebook group that's like worldwide, and I put some nutrition stuff into the group. Yeah. But I put a lot of things into the group to change the way they perceive information. And so if, if again, it's just like lots of planting seeds without talking about the actual topic. So when the time yeah. comes to for them to work on the topic. They're more they're more receptive to the information than just saying intermittent fasting is bad for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm educating them on you know what it means to fuel your workouts, what it means to recover from your workouts, and this is the science, and this is how I've helped my clients and athletes you know worldwide do these types of things, and they hear it, they see it, they hear it, they see it, then it's like, well, these people over here are doing it, and then their parents are like, those kids are doing this, and they're doing well from it. I don't need to be doing this, doing that other thing. I should, I should be doing that. And then we can, con- then they're more receptive for the information because they've been watching, they've been listening, they've been seeing other people and what I've been saying over and over and over again. So now they're like, I should, I should do that too. Rather than me just go, that's a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, Cause they don't know me. But. Yeah. And it's, it's, I suppose, like you said, you're, you're, you're sowing, you're planting, you're sowing the seeds over time with information and then, it kind of when you start talking about it, it's triggering triggering all the information that they that they've like kind of just seen from you, and it's not as it's not been a, it's not a force. You must you must conform to my program, and this is the way it works. When it when it comes to the differences in sports, like I I work with some high level athletes in Ireland, uh, teen athletes, and um, I remember being giving it a. Asked about a nutritional program for specifically for basketball players, and I'm like, "Well, you're you." Well, firstly, I thought that like it was a high carb. It was just I didn't see it was a it was a high carb, low fat diet. I didn't understand why you'd give someone who plays twenty to thirty hours of basketball intensely every week, uh, a, like just a high a high carb. Like it was over. Like it was loads of pastas and rices, and it just seemed like something from a really bad nutrition book uh, that they downloaded for free or something. But for you, cause you like, you've worked like strength and conditioning, martial arts. Uh, you tr- uh, I've seen some on your, your website, like you triathletes, triathlons. Uh, I've done everything from, yeah. I've, I've done them and I've, I've coached other people from like the simple five case to a 24 hour worlds, you know, op- obstacle course racing. Uh, I've done the Ironmans. I've coached people to them. And then obviously the other types of sports as well. Would you alter, I'm assuming you'd alter the nutritional programs then based on the athlete and the event or the training process? 
Yes. I would still want the foundation of a healthy eating pattern there, yeah. regardless of sport. Then the only thing that difference is, is changing the portion sizes of the foods to make sure that it supports the energy needs that athlete needs for the day, as well as making sure that you're teaching them how to fuel their sport. You know, someone that's going to do powerlifting is going to have, obviously it does have a high energy need, but at the same time, their actual effort in sport is going to be minutes, seconds yeah. of effort, right? So, whereas you got a basketball player that might be playing, you know, for a couple hours a day practicing, um, you have to look at like how that, we call basketball a stop and go sport. Very, very fast, then quick stops. Very, very fast, then quick stops. You know, boom, pass, rest, wait. It's not like, uh, whereas an endurance athlete, it's just they go until it's done, right? There's no stop. So stop and go, stop and go very, very fast. Their fueling needs are high. So a basketball player may have a very high caloric need. And with some people, it's like, well, how do we get that much calories into them to first and foremost get their total energy they need into it? And we want to look at first, are they getting the protein? Then let's get as much calories as we can to support their total need from vegetables, non-starchy and starchy. So we get vitamins and minerals then as well as fats. And then there's going to be a base where they're getting everything they need, but they may have such a high caloric need where they're like, all right, well, I'm, I'm eating whole grains and I'm still not getting enough. I need more calories. Mm. Now they might start eating like white rice. They might be eating more potatoes. They might be eating more white bread, might be eating pancakes and stuff like that. They could still be good, but there's going to be at some point where like you need more calories. You can eat, only eat so much vegetables. Like, yeah. Okay. Right. And you can only eat so much of this and that where you're going to have to stack on it. Now, is that every single day? Is that all year long? No. And that's where, where there's such a big disconnect with athletes. They don't know how to change their diet, their eating pattern as the training cycles change throughout the year. You get so used to eating a certain amount of foods because mm. of the energy needs, and then the volume of training goes down and then they gain weight because they haven't changed their, the, the portion sizes, or even in some cases, because if it's really high calorie, the types of foods they're choosing because they're now in the off season or they're in the recovery. Prime example of this is, is like football players. Football players almost get paid by the pound, right? The bigger they are, yeah. the harder they are to stop, right? So if you got a high school athlete, they're going to weigh a certain amount as a linebacker, right? As a, or even in rugby or whatever the case may be, they're going to get paid. They, they go to college, they're going to weigh even more. They go yeah. to pro, they're going to weigh even more. What happens if they get injured? The training they were doing that was burning the energy, even though they were big and you could only gain so much muscle, the rest is fat, but it's still a pound, it's hard to move. Right, mm -hmm. to push them off. When they get injured, they don't know how to change their eating pattern, so they start to lose the muscle, but they're still eating to support that high body weight, and they get fat, or right, if they already were uh, obese or, or whatnot, and they start running into health issues. And so, being able to take a even a teen athlete that's heavier body fat and helping them transition from sport. So they're not starving. They're not, you know, mental clarity going down, those types of things. Mm. It, it, it's just one of those things you have to balance out their energy needs for sport. And then when they transition from sport, but the basis still has to be a healthy eating pattern. And then you make changes based on their activity levels and where they're at. And I think like I, I this is nothing to do with sport. Well, I suppose it has something to do with sport. I don't know if you've seen it in America. Uh, we obviously were in lockdown the gym fsm has been shut for six months like we're we won't open till next month there was one we're allowed open so six months but our kids program and what i've not not even with, with some of the kids but like I've, we've noticed from talking to parents that have kids and so that and the the kind of common denominator is oh my, my kids starting to put on a bit of weight because all sports have been stopped kids can't they don't have their their swimming lesson. They don't have their gymnastics. They don't have their, their their Gaelic Gaelic football. They don't have their soccer. Don't have their rugby. Their the girls don't have their hockey. They don't have their basketball. So all of those hours that were being used to burn so much energy now they're at home doing nothing of very little, and there's oh they're getting a little belly on them. And we're like, 
well, yeah, they're expending more energy. Or they're not expending as much energy as they were, but they're probably consuming the same amount, if not more, through boredom. Yeah. Um, and then they're all being sent back this month in May outdoors, next month indoors, to all sports. And they're going to have extra weight on them. And I don't know, like, one of the things, I think with kids, the kids are more adaptable. They'll be able to kind of get back on track. But I think with a lot of teens, they'll probably find it really hard because they're going to go in with a mentality of, well, I used to be able to run this fast or lift this much or uh, perform at this level. And now I can't, and I've gained weight. And for teenagers, the consciousness, like, we, we have one one client who is very unsure of coming back because they've gained weight. Who's a teenager mm-hmm. uh, because of their confidence levels. Um, I don't know. Have you like, have you noticed that or is this COVID been is, like, is, have you just been locked down as long as us or. Some places in this, I mean, the, the, cause obviously the U S is, is really big. Some states yeah. are practically still in lockdown and some states just didn't care and did almost did their own thing as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, so, Obviously, there's different regions of people that gain weight. And then it's still perception. Like, gyms could be open. Like, my gym's open, and I have had, I've been vaccinated at all the stuff, but, and I still wear a mask around, uh, around people um, just for their, you know, they, that they could feel good that I'm doing what I'm supposed yep. to be doing. But, the, but the, yeah, people gain weight. Lots and lots of people gain weight. Kids gain weight. Adults gain weight. Um, and and tr- so trying to teach them not to diet to lose the weight. But let's let's go back to before performing behaviors that are going to support health and fitness, and that might mean you know getting back into the Brand X training center and, and doing the training and getting back to like making healthy choices in the foods that we eat, and so that way we can the body will start to remember what it was doing before and start making changes. But kids are growing still, yeah, and and we don't want them ever dieting and decreasing calories we just want them to start making healthy choices and doing the behaviors that are going to support that exercising the right way making good choices in foods you know getting plenty of sleep hydration those types of things that excess body weight will take care of itself it will start to go down body yeah. composition will start to change back but if they start to diet then they're not going to feed themselves fuel themselves enough calories and nutrients like vitamins and minerals that the body needs because it's still growing and then mm. increase the demand of sport. We don't. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a, a good point. And I, I never really, I, to be honest, I never thought about it, the growing aspect, um, which is obviously when they're growing, they're expending more calories. Like I never, I never looked at it from that angle, actually. I don't know why, because I'm always anal about people growing, uh, especially when our kids are growing. Like we, we only noticed like two of our girls came back. I haven't seen them in six months nearly. And they're a lot taller and their squat pattern has gone off. But I never associate that with energy expenditure of food. Oh, absolutely. That's, Think about yeah. their body, the, the bone density. Would you say that as a teenager, the bone, they can really set themselves up the rest of their life. But if they're lifting correctly now to oh. helping improving their bone density. 100%. 100%. I mean, you can, you can fix it later on in life, but you can set a hell of a baseline. Sorry, yeah. Custer. Uh, you know, a baseline right now with these teens. But what's stored in bones? Calcium, phosphorus, right? Those are types of things that it is going to help them out into different things down the road, right? So if you're, they're not getting enough vitamin D, if they're not getting enough certain nutrients, the body's going to strip it from the bones, so if you have low bone density, hello, osteoporosis down your, down the road in your life, right? So getting them the nutrients they need now and the strength training they need now and setting that baseline to continue that behavior the rest of their life is going to set them up for success. So uh, yeah, nutrients are essential. And just to, to touch on something you said earlier, um, when it comes to nutrition, between the difference between boys and girls, would you, I don't know if that's for performance point of view is there uh do you kind of educate differently when it comes to with some of them we do i mean I'm, i'll be straight up honest i will talk about menstrual cycles with girls yeah and their mothers if i'm coaching them i talk about it with them i talk about how to fuel what what's normal you know what's what's healthy for their body and what is a sign 
that they need to, you know, that something's not right and then how to treat their body with that. There's going to be different increased needs depending on that. Um, their energy needs are different on, you know, when they're when, during that, that type of time frame. And um, let's just say in a 28 day cycle, most girls are not going to have a 28 day cycle because it takes a while for the body to actually to normalize itself into that average cycle. So there, but the weeks leading up to it, there is an increased energy needs. Yeah. During, during it, there's an increased need for iron and different things like that and B12. So we want to make sure that they're fueling their body for it. Men, just because they don't have one, doesn't mean those needs aren't there. It doesn't mean there are differences in hormones. So it's still important that they're getting all those essential nutrients. But yeah, physiologically, there's a difference between men and women. Same thing with elevation and heat, right? Mm. Women are going to be more susceptible to heat than men. Why? Because men have a lower body mass, a, a more lean body mass, which means they have more water in their body than women who have less lean body mass because obviously the muscles store fluid, right? Because they also store carbohydrates, carb water. So that means that they're going to be more susceptible to heat injuries, cramps, things like that. So we want to make sure that we're, those are things that we want to talk about with them is increased demands for certain fluids, certain nutrients. Would, would that be, again, would that be something that is more for performance athletes or is it something that you work with just kind of your, your average kid that would come in or your teen that would come in uh, or is it something you always introduce and if they want to know more, they come to you? The average kid, regardless male or female needs, you know, that baseline of nutrition. They absolutely do. And obviously there for females, we do, there are certain things that we do want to talk about with them that you need to have a little bit more with and to normalize some of those taboo topics. That, that way they can feel comfortable that these are normal parts of life. And when these things are flags, like when I should go talk to mom and dad, maybe when I should go talk to, you know, a professional with it. Um, and men can have those things as well. There's a, mm -hmm. we used to call this thing a, called female athlete triad, which meant that, so young girls typically in like endurance sports and things like that, or gymnastics or dance things where they have a, a, a high body image issue, okay, that stands out. So they would have low body weight, low energy needs and no menstrual cycle. I mean, it didn't start or they lost it. Uh, but men can suffer from some of these things too, minus the last part, right? Um, but they, now we, we, it's, it's a term, it's called uh, relative energy deficiency in sport, red S. And this is a serious thing with kids because they want, they, they get so wrapped around um, dieting. And obviously it, it could be the average kid that doesn't play sport, but yeah, it's gonna be a lot more predominant in sports. Uh, athletes, male and female. They're not going to get enough calories to support their energy needs for growth and development, let alone for their sport to play it, and even mm -hmm. more so to recover or even adapt and get stronger from the training that they're doing. So I actually remember back in the, like, back in like, 2010, 2000, and between 2010, 2014, when everyone that was kind of crossfitting was crazy paleo, and a lot of girls I know lost their menstrual cycle. Not healthy. Yeah, but yep. they just uh, and at the time it was kind of. I suppose it was a lack of education on it. I didn't know. Uh, I didn't think it was right, but I didn't know more about it. Um, but I suppose at the time it was. Um, I think they thought that that was normal if you were going to, and these weren't athletes. These are just people that would do five days a week CrossFit or something similar to CrossFit. Um, and then, yeah, but like losing your menstrual cycle, yeah, it was never going to be um, a positive sign. It means just obviously something's wrong. Something's right. wrong. Yeah. So our kids, you know, they, they idolize. So you look at the CrossFit world because obviously, you know, when we talk about our training centers. Obviously, there's definitely some kids that are going to be watching adults CrossFitters, right? Because they want to aspire to be <clears throat> those young men or, and women, right? They want to be like them. So they research them. They look at what they're doing. They're like, oh, they're, they're on this type of diet. They're doing these things. Let me go do that. And they don't know how to do it right. Or even if that diet is right at all. There's a lot of pro athletes out there that have made really bad, healthy choices and continue to do so. But because of who they are in the community, everybody starts to do that. And it might be working for them right now but it may be having underlying health issues that are going to catch up to them down the road because of their choices. Yeah. Like, mental health issues. It was like, uh, 
only recently, I think it was Matt, Matt Frazier who said he was taking beta aniline every day, loads of it, and the sales in beta aniline went up through the roof in supplements. Uh, within a month, they, they kind of copped that because he said it. No, but he's a, like I would consider him or any top athlete, you're the 1% of the 1%. And yeah. you can pretty much, he's also the same guy that eats Snickers bars every day. Who also high, takes yeah. high energy needs. So, you know, if he, if he's got a really high energy needs and he's and his eating pattern on his diet, his eating pattern supports his health and fitness and wellness and look at it like yeah. it's great. And he happens to eat a Snickers bar every day. Again, that's like a cotton ball over a match. Gone, yeah. Right. It doesn't, it's not going to hurt him at, at all. But if you've got someone that has a very unhealthy eating pattern, they're yes. not getting adequate protein, they're not getting adequate vitamin minerals, they don't even exercise well to support a normal body composition, mm-hmm. let alone sport. And they're like, well, Matt Fraser eats a Snickers bar after every workout. Well, Matt Fraser can't. Yeah. But at some point in his life, let's say he decides to totally change the training volume, he may, that Snickers bar when he's 50 years old may not be the best thing for him. Yeah, unless he's still training at, at you know a high, you know master's level. Yeah. There was a documentary on a, a rugby player, a guy called Tommy Bow, Irish rugby player, and they did a. It was kind of like a week, and they were following his daily nutrition. He had to consume like five thousand calories a day. Pro rugby had to train multiple hours a day, and I, I remember watching. I thought it was fascinating because he'd be eating two, three day old dry chicken in the car because he has to hit his calories because his coach is monitoring and he's on, he's, he's coming back from injury and so that. And then we had one guy come in. He's actually a personal trainer now. And he was like, he eats a, like a box of cookies all the time. I was like, yeah, I know, but you not see him retching in the car eating like the, the, the day old food and the cold vegetables and the, the boiled chicken. Uh, yeah, I yeah, know, but he eats cookies. I mean, like, I suppose you're, you've seen what he, you see what you want to see. And then you want to consume like that. But I was like, well, you don't train like him. You're not six for four. You're, you're not able to compete. You're not at his level to be able to eat the fun bit that he was consuming. Um, Because I I think that that's something that athletes do is they like, uh, like, oh, here's my cheat meal. Or here they, they post that they're eating pizza, but they don't post all the boring food that they have to consume or all the training that they're doing or the bad days that they have to, like the days they wake up, they feel beat up and their body's just literally broken. Uh, but they never share that on Instagram or f- for social media. They only share that, hey, I'm feeling great just in a session I'm consuming this new energy drink because uh, they're sponsoring me and they're giving me money to say it. So, uh, yeah. so and the kids are all drinking energy drinks. Yeah, that's a lot. we talk for hours about the bad, how bad those things are. We had a woman in, ops, in the obstacle course racing community. She was probably early 30s, um, you know, very beautiful young lady. She was top of, the, top of her, her fitness, you know, getting on podiums and things like that in the obstacle course racing community. And she'd always talk about Pop-Tarts, that she has her Pop-Tarts. Like, Pop-Tart, you know what? If she could have Pop-Tarts before or after a race, it's fine because she needs to replace glycogen carbs right away. Mm-hmm. Would an apple be better? Yeah. Is it gonna, if she's eating all the other stuff and she wants Pop-Tarts after everyone, so be it. But what nobody knew was about a year or two later, well, everybody saw it a year or two later, she came out and, and confessed that she actually had an eating disorder and actually had to be you know, admitted to an inpatient clinic to be able to help her recover from this eating disorder. So we just saw this woman that's very beautiful and looking like she's fit, but inside she was making very poor choices. The only thing they saw was she eats a Pop-Tart after, you know, during a training. So Pop-Tarts must be good. And everyone's like, oh, look at me, I'm eating Pop-Tarts. Not, you know, so we have to, we can't idolize other people and what they're doing, even if it looks like it's a good thing, even if it's sports science, right? Kids don't, most kids don't have needed supplement. Most adults don't need to take supplement of any type they can get it from food. Nobody needs an energy drink whatsoever. And kids definitely shouldn't be touching that stuff. It doesn't matter how much CrossFit or whoever sponsors it, X science, none of that stuff. All of it is going to be bad for you in the long run. Yeah. So teaching kids to have that healthy foundation of food is, is, is where we want to go and teach them how they can do that. You know, otherwise, they're just wasting money. 
and Ken, like for, I know we've been, we're almost an hour now. Uh, and we're just going to like kind of touch on one or two more things, but for, I know you said you have, you have a Facebook group. I've seen it on your website. I, I'll put, if you, if you, if you're happy enough, I can put it in the link below. Um, could have some parents or teens that, uh, that follow, uh, my show, not, it's only it's a new version of our show, so we're following a small at the beginning. But um, it will go out with our all our teens. We'll send it to all our parents, stuff like that. Um, this podcast in general, um, and I'll go out on all our networks. But for for people that kind of want to, they want to know a little bit more about nutrition. Um, where would be obviously yourself and the website and what you guys do, but. Where, what would be the kind of the first step you'd tell a teen or a parent who just wants to make a, make a better choice when it comes to food? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, I, I would say that like each, and, and this is going to be the professional hat I'll throw on is like in the U.S. has what we call an economy nutrition. Context. I would imagine in Ireland and some of the other places that are that, that are over there in, in Europe and in, in the surrounding areas are going to have a professional organization for nutrition and dietetics that are going to have educational handouts and things like that that can help parents teach children how to eat and make healthy choices the smart way. Um, and not go, here's your carbs, fats, and proteins. This is what you need to do. Or here's how you log your food and track it. Like, don't do that, right? So there's going to be ways to be able to do that smarter um, with, with, with kids and, and making them, uh, and same thing with the parents. Because we want, we, we have to assume that most people don't know how to eat, just like we, we can assume that most people don't know how to run. They think they can. Yeah. It seems easy. I'll just go run. But then they get injuries and then you have doctors who say, well, just stop doing that. It's like, well, okay, doc, your, your job is not to tell people what they can and can't do. Your job is to help keep them healthy or fix them, right? It's my job to help them get healthy and fit. Uh, yeah. And our training and education is different than theirs. So we want them to go to this. So if you, in Ireland, if you've got something that's uh, like for nutrition and dietetics, that's like countrywide, they probably have some great resources on there with visuals, with handouts, education for kids, as well as for parents. Um, even better if you have someone that's in your country. I mean, obviously I, we work with people worldwide, uh, and clients having a dietitian, a sport, the one that specializes in sports yeah. is, gonna, is, is very good because not all, um, in our country, not all dietitians specialize in sports. They have the knowledge that we do, but we are focused in on helping people with their weight, with their health with their fitness is much, much different than that baseline education that we get in college. Um, I don't know in Ireland, but in, I guess in here, there are people, anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. Yeah. It's same in Ireland. Yeah. So there's a difference between a dietitian and nutritionists. So a nutritionist, you know, you could be a, uh, you, you could be a drug dealer and suddenly say, I changed my life and I'm gonna teach nutrition now. And I have no education, but I want to help people out. And I appreciate the passion, but you don't have the experience, education, or any of the professional credentials to do it to people and help people the right way without confusing them. Right. Yeah. You're going to be like, this worked for me. And here it is. Well, that is not science. That's not research. What worked for me isn't it. Uh, so yeah, going to those professional resources and looking for those organizations that have those types of things. We do put content out on my website. I do have a podcast. Um, yeah, I haven't done anything with it in a couple of years now, but the podcasts are still there on like how to develop a healthy eating pattern, how to create an athlete's plate. So visualizing your plate as, uh, as it should be to support your training. And then uh, there's a pot, same, next one in the, pot, in the series is how to create a meal plan weekly based on your energy needs for sport. Uh, so those, those three podcasts, typically I'll have people listen to those. And then I start building education and behaviors that support, you know, long-term well, fitness goals. What I'll do is I'll actually, I'll put those podcasts in, uh, in the, in the notes, in the link below. And uh, so people can kind of get a little bit more information, um, from that and obviously get a little bit more help and ed- education, which I think is great. Uh, but, uh, I just, I don't want to steal all your, your, well, your day, my evening, um, I'll be giving out to you if I'm not home on time. Um, but Ken, no, I really appreciate you being on show. Uh, there's a lot to it for, there's one thing that, um, 
I'm I'm actually going to be doing, um, and we've a couple of our teens that are kind of interested that I decided before it's a midlife crisis kind of job uh, before I turn 40 I'm going to run an ultra and the most I've ever run is a half what would be your top tip nutrition tip for an aging athlete who still thinks he's got it <laughs> uh, well I mean you're and a half you did 13.1 miles ultras anything anything over 26.2 miles is an ultra so um, is it I thought it was yeah. okay. Okay. Yeah. So twenty six point two miles is a marathon. Yeah. So anything over twenty six point two is technically an ultra. Okay. All so right. That, that's, now, obviously, there's going to be those people like, oh, well, it's not a fifty miler. I'm like, well, good for you. <laughs> you know, it's not a fifty k, which is going to be thirty point what thirty one point one miles or something like that. Yeah. Good for you. So an ultra is anything anything past a marathon. Period. Um, so as far as the nutrition goes, you need to make sure that you're fueling well before, uh, and fueling every hour, not every hour on the hour, like continuous throughout that running time frame. You have to be putting carbs, sodium, electrolytes, and fluid into you throughout. You can't just pile it in at once. Um, yeah. and whatever you're doing in training, hopefully it's correct and well, and, and tolerated, you have to practice it so that way you can do it in the race. You can't, you can't just show up and go, oh, they got gels and Gatorade and things like that at the yeah. course and never practice it. You use their stuff and wonder why you feel like crap or, or get sick or nauseous. Um, you train your muscles to work, let's say, being able to perform a movement over and over and again for, for an hour, right? You train your muscles to tolerate that. You have yeah. to train your stomach muscles and gastrointestinal tract to tolerate taking a nutrition while your heart rate is elevated. So you got to practice it. Okay. Um, and I have some handouts in my, in my group and videos about uh, the what and why of endurance and nutrition. Actually, I've got them for everything. Sports, sports, stop and go, strength and power, stuff like that. Cool. Uh, I, I'll, I'll probably, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be honest and I'll tell you how I ran my half marathon. I promised myself I'd run it before the end of January of this year. I don't run. I'm a, I'm a non-runner. I'm an anti. I used to be a very anti-runner. Um, I used to give out about people running, and um, I to avoid not doing it, I just got up at five o'clock, a half five one morning, and just ran on an empty stomach with half a glass of water and no prep, no nothing. I just went and ran. Uh, obviously, not advisable, and I knew it wasn't advisable halfway in, and I had my first ever gel halfway in, which wasn't advisable. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, just, I don't know, like you just say, like you would never do cardio or a, a training fasted. And then I'm sitting here trying not to um, feel bad about myself for, for running my first half marathon completely fasted. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's interesting training that because I, I wasn't thinking, I, I actually wasn't thinking about training it that way for my nutrition uh, at all. Um, so that's a good insight, actually. I'll um, I'll definitely put that down in, in my journal to make sure uh, I start looking into that and what I need to do. If I could, I'd like to give you an analogy on fueling. Yeah, would that be all right? Yeah, far away. So think of think of fueling your fueling your body like a car. Right, you're about to go on a road trip, and you know you're going to go on a long road trip. And in a car, you can fill up the gas right? And you're good. But let's say you fill up the gas and you start loading it like, ah, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go a really long, long way. So I'm going to take this luggage. I'll take some, you know, 50, I'll take some five gallons of water or whatever. You start loading up extra weight on the vehicle and then you're going to be burning more gas because you're pulling more weight. Right? Yeah. So you're going to stop more often to have to refill the tank. Yes. Now the, 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 the more, I wouldn't say lean you are, but the more you, you teach your, uh, you, if you fill up your body more often, then you don't have to keep filling the tank up, right? Because you don't want to run in fumes. If you try to run on fumes with that car, eventually it's going to burn and it's going to crash and you're just not going to go. With our body, it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's a lot better in the sense of our body is more like a coal train where you've got a small um, 
fire and it's got coal in there. And if you throw a whole bunch of food in there at once or a whole bunch of coal into that fire at once, what happens to the fire? It just go out. Goes out, right? Because there's not enough oxygen circulating in there to, to keep the fire hot. Now, what happens if, you, if it, the fire runs out because there's not enough fuel, there's not enough coal in there? The train slows down. And then you throw coal in there and you're like blowing on it, right? Trying to get the flames to circulate, to catch the coals, to catch it going so you could pick up speed again. If, if we think of our body very much like that fire that's inside of that train, if you choke the fire by putting too much coal on it, the train will slow down because there's not enough oxygen circulating through it to burn the fuel to keep it going at the optimal. So it's the right amount of oxygen in that engine and the right amount of fuel, coal in that engine to keep it going at the same pace. So it has to be fueled continuously. You're shoveling in there the right amount of time. You let it run out, you slow down. It takes a while to get the flames back up to pick up speed again. If you choke it out, you might put that fire out altogether and it may take a while for you to get it going again before you can pick up speed again. Our body is very much like that. We need to keep it the right amount at the right time to keep the, the, our train going. The big difference is the train's gonna recover. With us, let's say you depleted everything in there and you were mentally able to push through without fueling. It means it's gonna rob Peter to pay Paul. It's gonna take that, that energy, the nutrients from somewhere else in your body that wasn't supposed to be used for that and use it as fuel. That might mean it catabolizes, breakdowns muscle tissue. It might mean to be taking protein that could be used for antibodies for immunity. It might be burning vitamins and minerals that should be used for other metabolic reactions in the body, but you use them as substrates to be used as energy because you didn't give it the energy it needed. So you might get through it and maybe do okay but your body's not going to recover at the rate it could have. And yeah. it's not going to adapt to the training to get stronger. You just got through it. Yeah. No, no, this, uh, no, I, it, it, I, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. <laughs> no, I get it. Um, no, definitely, definitely. I'll be looking at that. Dude. Um, no, I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, Again, this will go out on all our things. We're going to be sending it to all our teens, all our parents, all our kids, uh, parents. Um, and then we'll put the fa- – if, if you're happy with it, we will put the Facebook group in. Um, might have some parents that want to know a little bit more. And um, I honestly, honestly, I really appreciate you actually taking the time to have this chat. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, Stephen, you can reach out anytime. And if any of your parents or uh... – you know, people that you work with have any questions, tell them to reach out to us at Top Nutrition Performance, either on Facebook or Instagram. Facebook is generally a little bit faster at responding. Yeah. Uh, Instagram, Instagram is weird sometimes, uh, but yeah, just reach out, let us know, we'll see how we can help out. Yeah, no, I totally appreciate it, Matt. I thank you very much. And I, maybe when the world gets back to normal and I finally get back to America, I might be in your area. I don't know. Do a brand yeah, next. That'd be great. All right. Take care, Stephen. Uh, have a good one. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Live, Live, Play podcast.